orcas and salmon are friends that need help. Our ocean pals are facing some trouble. Less trouble, more bubbles. There's so much we can do. Do you know what I'm thinking? Let's start preaching extinction. everybody and welcome back um this week we are talking with liam to he is a high school student and he's an activist he's done a lot of research on the dams and has gotten involved with different activists and used instagram as his platform for that so we're gonna have a chat with him but before we get started just a quick message from our sponsors today's show is brought to you by audible Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash breachingextinction and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's easy. Go to audible.com slash breachingextinction. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, so can you give us a, ba- a brief background of you know who you are and how you came to get involved with the Southern Resonance? So, um, I am a high school student at basically in the state of Oregon and I have been, I just started in ORCA. I've been in, I've been doing ORCA activism for, I think about a year now, mm-hmm. entirely and just entirely on uh, my Instagram page. And yeah, I, I heard about what was going, I heard about what was going on with them. I heard about the situation with the dams and just the, just the absolute, the absolute devastation it's been causing to the Northwest region for the past 50 years now. Yeah. I think the last one was, yeah, the past 50 years. And I wanted to, um, I want to be part of the voice, be part of the voice that says, listen, we need to take these things down now. Um, But I wanted to uh, do it from what I'm best at, probably one of the things I'm best at is with history. So I thought that if people knew more in depth about how, how the dams came to be, how, yeah, just basically what, just what went on, what, how they came to be, because that's what was sort of mystifying me in the face of, of just everything, of all the evidence that proved that they weren't worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I know, like, um, you know, for anybody who hasn't listened to this podcast before, maybe check out the episode with Jim Waddell of Damn Sense, and then you can get a better idea of why the dams shouldn't be there. Um, But Liam is kind of here to tell us a little bit about the history of the dams. And, you know, over Instagram, which is how I met you, was just that, like, you've made all these different stories where you've, like, really gone in-depth, like, with all these details, which is awesome, and posted them on your story. Um, And so I just wanted to, you know, chat with you and talk about kind of the history and, like, what you found, because that's such an important component. Um, So can you tell us um, about your research on the dams? And obviously, you told us a little bit about what this, like, inspired this interest. Um... And then you can just go ahead and like start telling us about the history of the dams as well. 
So yeah, I mean, I that episode with Jim Waddell, that's what sparked that's what sparked me to basically go in depth about it. Because I remember during the interview, uh, he was talking about how uh, he, how you know the dams were not economically feasible, that this wasn't worth it. But then, you know, all of a sudden after the end of the war, they, as he put it, the Corps went on a dam built dam building bonanza. And I was like, wait a minute, that, that didn't, that, that just didn't sound right. It didn't make sense that, that the Army Corps for so many years would just, would deny it. But then all of a sudden they say, you know what, let's, let's, let's flood the whole Northwest with these things. So something happened in between those two points where they denied and then they eventually allowed. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to figure out what, mm -hmm. what, what made them change their mind, basically. So what did you find? So as, it, as if, uh, as with the, basically the entire West, Western portion of the United States, the whole, everything was built on top of, you know, you know, stolen, stolen native land. Now, in the beginning with the Columbia Gorge about 165 years ago, seven, about seven and a half million acres of land were in control of these tribes. Uh, the Nez, uh, Nez Perce, uh, Umatilla, Yakima, and there was one more. There was one more tribe that had it. I think it was the yeah, Shoshone and, and uh, Warm Springs. And I'm sorry if I'm getting the names wrong. But yeah, they were they had control of seven and a half million acres of land. And they have been living there. And basically the entire northwestern region, that, that race, the uh, I think it's uh, Nimipu or some something like that. I think it's Nimipu. But again, I might be pronouncing that wrong. They've been living there for tens of thousands, 11,000 years. 11,000 years they've been they've been uh, living there and their system they actually had their their society was very similar to what we have today where it, i mean it wasn't exactly a constitutional republic but what they had was they had elected officials that made up a council that decided what was going on and they did everything through a democratic process now when the united states government eventually came over there they said you know what fine yeah you guys can hold you guys can keep the land. You can keep that 7.5 million acres of land. And they signed this treaty in 1855. All, all those tribes signed, the, signed this uh, treaty between, July, between June and July of 1855. But then gold was found mm -hmm. in the 1860s. And all of a sudden settlers started flooding in and, you know, there was stealing. There was, there was pillaging that was going on. You know, all the, all these people were just completely knocked out of their homes. And instead of the United States government stepping in to help, they said, they basically said, well, look, we, we, we kind of want this gold too. So, you know, we're, we're just going to take all, take that seven point, about 90% of that land away from you. And mm -hmm. you can sort of have this like little checkerboard reservation. And yeah, and that, and that was signed, I think in, yeah, in I think 1893, they signed it. And, and yeah, and for the past 165 years, they've, you know, these people have just been living on this checkerboard reservation, you know, while everyone sort of just came in and made themselves home. So yeah, where the dams are was basically a giant constitutional violation again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, and so because of the gold that was very abundant, this trade network was set up 
along the Columbia River and a little bit on the Snake River. It took a while before um, before it was recognized as like an actual navigable waterway. Mm-hmm. And stern wheels would basically travel from the mouth of, mouth of the Pacific to, uh, to uh, Lewiston in about 11 months. Mm-hmm. And so eventually people started, eventually people started saying, well, actually before, before that happened, the stern wheels started getting phased out because of the trains, mm-hmm. because trains started came in, you know, they came in and they proved themselves that they were much faster by years, months, years. And they, and they decide, and people just kind of decided to move on to that. However, there was a group, there were people who want, who wanted, wanted dams, who wanted uh, locks to be mm-hmm. placed along the river so that the so that boats could come back again. So that, cause you know, so that they, they can actually go through without having to stop and then unload and then bring it uphill and then and then right. going on to another uh, another vessel mm-hmm. and um, and yeah these are and these are trained uh, networks that are still being used today mm-hmm. and eventually some people some politicians actually started to agree and said and said hey if we if we do this, then we could then that would create a whole bunch of competition that would eventually drive down the costs mm-hmm. of of um, of of shipping. Because well, because well, at that time, uh, train companies could sort of charge whatever they want, and a lot of farmers didn't really like that. And so eventually, the core said, "Okay, you know what? We could probably we'll allow you guys to build." Well, we'll build a um, a waterway that sort of bypasses the rivers mm-hmm. and basically takes stuff straight from the Columbia to Lewiston and uh, to Lewiston, Idaho, and that was the Salilo River mm-hmm. and or canal, not river. And it was it was built in 1910, and it was a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only time that boats were able to actually navigate on it was when the water was when the water had to be a certain level so people would be waiting and waiting and waiting for for stuff to be shipped but for months and even so, and so, and sometimes years and so but again again this and then people came back and they said okay let's seriously we really want we really want a, we want dams and we want locks. And again, the uh, core put their foot down and they said, no, we're not building this because they mm-hmm. knew that the cost, you know, the cost benefit was not, was not enough. Mm-hmm. But then the great depression happened. The great depression happened mm-hmm. and 14% of the United States population basically lost everything. Mm-hmm. Well, they lost their jobs and at least half of those people lost, lost literally everything. And so, by by uh, by the nineteen thirty three presidential uh, by nineteen thirty three, there was the presidential election was going mm-hmm. on, and um, and uh, uh, Roosevelt was saying, "Look, I want to drag us out of this mess." And what he and what he did to help to help get people in the Northwest on his on his side was said, he said, How, "If I if you guys vote for me." I will begin the first massive hydroelectric um, project on the Columbia on the Columbia River, and mm-hmm. it, w- it was going to be the largest in the world. And so, on November eighth, he won that election, and he stuck to this to his word, and he basically b- began construction on what was Bonneville. Mm-hmm. And but again, the the problem started appearing again, where it was like, okay, wait a minute, the the geography wasn't right, so it took them forever to event 
to eventually find a place where they could build it. And that was um, on on a place called, uh, on an island called Bradford Island. Mm -hmm. And they chose that to be the foundation. And, you know, and that was when the sort of, and they, but they still, they still had problems with weather and, you know, the river effect. So Mm -hmm. they would build these coffer dams, they would blast everything out of the way. Millions of tons of, of, uh, of rock were up, mm-hmm. torn out of the earth to basically build the foundation. Seven or seven hundred forty-two thousand cubic yards of materials basically just had to be dug up, mm-hmm. and it was a project that was about one and a half billion dollars in today's money. But it was eventually it was eventually completed, and mm-hmm. Bonneville Dam was was built, and it actually did help a lot in dragging the Northwest out of the financial room that it was in and basically prepped everyone Mm -hmm. for the war that was going to happen. And then this is where that, the damn building Bonanza happened, um, with the core, um, after, yeah, after, after the end of the war. Mm -hmm. So, but even before that, from like, from the 1930s to to the late 1940s, people still said, look, we want dams on the Snake River. We want to, we want a dam that place. We want an actual navigable waterway on it. And Mm -hmm. every time the Corps uh, said no, and they were even helped a bit by uh, train lobbyists. Um, But then, and so this is, and this is where, this is that key point Mm -hmm. uh, comes in. All of a sudden, a man named Herbert G. West came into the mix. And this guy was a, a tenacious propagandist businessman is what he was. And he was so he was so stubborn that you could literally you could present all you could literally present all modern um, evidence to him and he would just say, Nope, I want I want these things built and mm-hmm. I want them built now. And he he literally he never actually I do so I, you know I do appreciate his resilience because it's resilience we should frankly all have especially right. for uh, especially for saving the southern residents and saving the northwest yeah he was incredibly resilient mm-hmm. and he kept pestering and pestering and pestering de- basically demanding that the uh, that the core bow down to him mm-hmm. and eventually they kind of said you know, the the core said you know what sure We'll, 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 we'll figure, we'll figure something out. And so, uh, they, they started, uh, figuring out, they, well, they started, you know, compiling all the uh, data, what, you know, how much money they would make from it, you know, what, what, what would it, what it costed to build it. Mm -hmm. And they showed it to Congress and it was immediately thrown out, Mm -hmm. like instantly thrown out. Okay. Yeah. So Congress, so yeah, Congress, so then, so the core, so the core, you know, basically, uh, the core basically bowed down to Herbert, but the Congress didn't. They were saying, no, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then, so they were about to give it up, but again, Herbert persisted. And eventually, they did the a sleight of hand trick. They did something really, the core did something really, really scummy, mm-hmm. where they basically... Uh, they basically they returned to the they returned to Congress a few years uh, I think about a year or a few years later and said, "Look, here's all here, look here here's our new our new evidence and and mm-hmm. you know it sh- and clearly shows that that you know far that we'll be able to make the money back that was lost from the dams from farmers mm-hmm. from 
you know, from farmers, from the, from the boats that would eventually travel on that would basically use it. But what they didn't tell Congress is that it was, that idea was purely theoretical mm-hmm. and that there was no, pr- and that there was like no proof that it would actually be the case. And they, they were saying that, oh, hundreds of thousands of acres are going to be, are, are now going to be uh, fertile thanks to all of the work that the farmers will do. You know, farmers will take advantage of this. They'll take advantage of all the reservoirs that will be created from this. But in the end, only a few actually ever took it. Like, I think it's only, yeah. Yeah, so so they said that hundreds, hundreds of thousands of acres are going to be, um, are going to be used for farming. Only about only a couple thousand ended up being used, mm-hmm. as we can see today. So, not that many people took it. But the court, but Congress didn't realize this, and they said uh, Congress didn't realize that. And so, while they approved it, they still didn't. They still didn't give them the money because Congress was still uh, still very very suspicious about this this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so, they basically said. Look, we approve this, but we're not going to give you any money. Mm-hmm. We're not going to give you any money, and so, uh, and so, and so. Eventually, I think, yeah, her, and then Herbert West. Eventually, he was he became the uh, he was the Walla Walla uh, mayor, he was mayor of Walla Walla, but then he eventually became Oregon senator, and he and um, and Washington Senator Warren Warren G. Magnuson basically. Um, basically uh returned to congress and they said look you know well there's so much it'll be super cheap honestly the electricity that will be made will be super cheap it's gonna it's gonna make you know it's gonna everyone's it's not gonna be expensive you know people are gonna afford it and all that and all this other stuff and they managed to secure about a million dollars 10 million today which was enough to build a road to the site and um Eventually, in '57, they found um, they found where the foundation was going to be, and in '59, in May of '59, they basically started construction of, of it. And yeah, so over the course of I think about yeah, over the course of a few years, um, uh, land yeah, two years the because of all the coffer dams that were built to expose the earth that was underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, these reservoirs, essentially these artificial reservoirs would be, would uh, be made and mm-hmm. would flood out about like 9,000 acres of land, over 9,000 acres of land. Yeah. When it was finished, uh, yeah, 9,600 acres of land was just, mm-hmm. was just complete, was completely flooded. And it may, and out of that came, uh, these, uh, three, uh, these, uh, three parks and yeah, Hood Park, uh, Charbonneau Park and Fishhook Park, which again, I'm probably pronouncing at least one of those things wrong, and almost to and almost to rub, to rub it in the fact that this was built on stolen land, they named they named the reservoir Lake Sacajewa, uh, which is the name of the Native American woman that basically came, uh, that joined um, Lewis and Clark mm-hmm. on their along the way uh, on their journey toward, uh, toward the Pacific Ocean. So the vice, the vice president at the time uh, came, at, yeah, Vice President Lyndon Johnson and Idaho Senator Frank Church were, were one of the people to attend the, this grand opening, which I should do, 
I should do a, a thing on the opening, but it is kind of hilarious what they did. They had they had people like skydiving off the top of the dam. Oh you know, my it's gosh. just this big mass yeah. <laughs> this big massive uh show. And they came on and they said, Listen, this is gonna this this is amazing that this dam has been built. It's going to it's gonna bring so many jobs, it's gonna fuel the space uh, the space race. You know, it's mm-hmm. gonna it's gonna fuel all the all the industries that create the material that's necessary to mm-hmm. uh, to to build to build our space program. It's gonna create it's gonna sustain Hanford. That was one of their big promises. Is that because mm-hmm. Hanford at the time was was producing uranium? It wasn't it wasn't exactly a dump site yet, right? And so yeah, that was Ice Ice, Ice Harbor. But mm-hmm. when you look at the data now, you can literally see the moment Ice Harbor was built, mm-hmm. all the Chinook salmon, the steel trout, the sockeye salmon all went into a nosedive. Mm-hmm. And then and then eventually Lore and then Lore Monumental came, which when that was being constructed, there was a massive discovery of a uh, there was a Native American burial site there that they found and they were, and everyone was excited because this was the first evidence of of hu- of like 10,000-year-old remains discovered in the western on the western hemisphere. And archaeologists were like really excited. And they wanted to. Uh, they wanted to basically desecrate the remains to to learn more about them. And BPA was like, uh, "All right." And so they kind of they kind of stuck a coffer dam there mm-hmm. to to sort of protect the to protect the site. But they didn't really pay attention to what they were placing it on. And the coffer dam was built on just gravel. So all the water. So eventually, when the reservoir was created. All the water came underneath the cover dam and just completely destroyed the burial site. Wow. Obliterated it completely. Jeez. That's awful. And, yeah, and then and then the core was like they just sort of went, oh, we're, we're 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 sorry. And they basically just put like a little a little footnote that said, Hey, there there was a there was a burial site here. And so they were so the core just just kinda ushered a little sorry about that. Oh, geez. So just all kinds of disrespect on so many levels with indigenous people. Yeah. Yeah. Just that's, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Just just constant, constant, constant. And um, yeah, so that, so that site got completely destroyed. And eventually um, when little, Little Goose was the next was the next dam that was uh, that was supposed to be constructed in '63, uh, but at this time there was a little bit of a problem where Bonneville Power Administration was trying to scramble like seventy two million dollars to uh, Canada so that they could continue their operations with damming the Columbia River, mm-hmm. and and they were, they had to you know sort of secure all this money and to make this deal go through mm-hmm. so that. It just kept that was delayed as well because some some with all of these dams is that they were supposed to be completed in like five years. Some of them ended up t- like two to five years. Some of them ended up taking like ten years to complete, mm-hmm. like over, over ten, just maybe just over ten years to complete. That's a long time. It is a lot, and eventually, um, once they cleared that up, Little Goose was built, and then. Lower Granite was built, mm-hmm. and it was. I think it was. They finished construction in 1975. Mm-hmm. I think. I think was when it was was when it was completed. 
and uh, that and again all these all these dams created all you know all of these um, all these reservoirs that were named and the last reservoir to be named was uh, was Lake Herbert G West. The last reservoir was named after the guy who uh, that who after the guy who built it, who I think passed away. I think just before the last dam was completed. Okay. So yeah, so those yeah, so those all four of those Snake River dams were built, and yeah, that was basically it. That was it, That's- and so their intended purpose at that time was mostly for navigation and for um, electricity. Correct or power, not like directly electricity, but hydropower. Yeah, so it was for it was for providing a navigable rock waterway and uh, and provide and yeah, providing electricity, and that would that was supposedly that would supposedly fuel the um, the aluminum industry mm-hmm. that was that was uh, there in Oregon in Oregon and Washington because at that time there was a massive aluminum industry which is now long gone right yeah basically and that aluminum was eventually built to uh was used to build uh nuclear missiles eventually was used i think it probably was used in the saturn five okay the big moon rocket yeah so it sounds like you know just based on what they were and you know originally intended for there's other ways around that and it sounds like you know the motivation behind building the dams wasn't you know, necessarily the best or the most thought out. Um, I went down to the lower granite dam um, with an old coworker of mine. And like, you know, obviously like we had read about like the problems with the dams and things like that. And like the whole time we had noticed that there's like pretty much a train track right alongside like that river. And it's like these, it doesn't seem like these dams are super necessary anymore. You know, it seems as though there's more harm than good environmentally socially and economically is that kind of the same sort of information that you've gotten based on your research yeah i mean technically i mean technically they weren't even necessary the snake river dams at least weren't even weren't even really necessary Mm -hmm. because at the because at the when they were after bonneville by the time bonneville was completed there was a little bit more public confidence in the dams slightly more public confidence because um uh, steam steam engines had begun had became far more powerful and uh, and people were thinking they could you know the boats were being more powerful so they thought it could move more stuff but it really didn't take that long for mm-hmm. like I think diesel electric t- uh, trains became the norm even before Ice Harbor was was completed mm-hmm. so they so again the boat would you know the boat said oh look you know, we're better, but then, but then it didn't really didn't take long for the train to, to, uh, to eventually prove that, okay, no, I'm, I'm clearly, is basically saying that I'm clearly better. Cause I was, um, I was driving to Mexico with my aunt on a 20 hour drive a few months ago. And I drove by, I think it was the, yeah, I drove by the Columbia river and we saw we saw a barge, one barge that was just sitting by itself, mm-hmm. and another barge that was actually being pushed. And during that entire time, we saw like ten trains, ten trains that were like a mile long. So they already, so yeah, they they proved themselves much better uh, to use by. I mean, technically, they proved themselves better to be boat harbor, to 
200 years ago in England, but they, 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 they're, they're clearly the better option. Mm-hmm. So farmer, farmers just didn't like that they were, that they were charging slightly. They, they just didn't like the slight increase in prices. Interesting. But yeah, there, there's trade networks all over the Northwest. The train networks that were built before the dams are still being used today, you know, and yeah, they're everywhere. And even, and, you know, farmers are getting a lot of their stuff by train. You know, everyone's getting their, a, a lot of people in those areas are just getting their stuff by train. Yeah. Even, you know, large amounts of stuff. Absolutely. So currently what are the functions of the dam like today? Uh, providing electricity for the, basically providing electricity for the state of California, still sort of holding on to that navigable waterway, uh, thing. And that's it. Yeah. Just those two purposes. It doesn't, doesn't do flood control. doesn't really help the, the region that much doesn't make it any more, it actually makes it less fertile technically. But yeah. It's just electricity for California and, and a navigable waterway that, is barely that gets barely used interesting yes that's kind of what i found too and then you know if people are more interested they can go back and listen to jim waddell's interview to get more in or more information as well like this is super helpful combining the two um so what we learned from talking to jim was that um the energy like there's an energy surplus in the area and that energy from the dams is no longer needed you know it's just economically it's costing taxpayers more money um at this point so overall i mean i think uh, when i talked to adam demansky who was with econ northwest basically what his findings said was that like it's just a little bit more expensive to take the dams down once than it is to maintain them annually so that annual cost is slightly cheaper than just taking them down which is insane so it's just like costing taxpayers a lot of money and it sounds like too um because i was going to ask you about the impact that it had on indigenous communities which you've pretty much answered that already um it just i don't this uh, it seems like the benefit did not outweigh the cost for so many groups of people and for so many aspects of how it's impacting the environment and the economy and you know social issues as well yeah so when actually technically when the dams were built it, technically, when the dams were built, because of the turbines that they used, it the Northwest actually had too much power in mm-hmm. a way because uh, because the, the, I mean the turbines they were supposed to generate you know thirty three hundred megawatts of electricity so to, which was actually too much mm-hmm. for the re, for the Northwest region at the time. But then once people found out that it can only produce about a, just over a thousand like a thousand, I think 1,085 megawatts an hour. Mm-hmm. And it didn't even, it didn't even come close to, uh, especially now today, it, it doesn't come close. And yeah, there is a sort of, there is that sort of surplus of power that some, like there's one company, uh, Seattle City Light, who's, who's lobbying, who it's, there's evidence suggesting that they're lobbying with BPA to try and keep the dams up. Because they are able to to get a little bit of that surplus energy and sell it to customers mm-hmm. for like almost forty dollars in the in and basically Seattle, even though it's probably worth like twelve. Wow, 
that doesn't yeah. seem like it makes a lot of sense. No, it, it, it doesn't make any sense at all. No. And, but yeah, Seattle City Light is doing that. And yeah, there's that certain, and then yeah, there's a surplus of power that's barely going anywhere. And you got all these, you know, you got the turbines, which are like, are waiting, please listen, can you let us onto the grid? And it's like, and they're just kind of denying them the thing. And that's the, one of the things I found in, um, in the bond in Bonneville's in their fact, fact sheets, mm-hmm. which if your viewers can't see, I'm just yeah. um, Air quotes. quotation marks, yeah. fact sheets. And, um, and they were, and they were saying, you know, they were saying that, um, that, you know, all the dams are reason for keeping the dams is that they support you know, they, they support all these other forms of electricity. Mm-hmm. And if you take them away, we're all going to be forced to use, you know, we're going to be forced to use gas turbines. We're used to for, you're, we're forced to use, nat- we're forced, we're forced to use natural gas, which mm-hmm. is not even close to being true. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, <clears throat> the dams are clearly not a good option. And, you know, the only people that have, or only groups that have, differentiating opinions is Bonneville Power Association compared to like any other group that has has studied them and like Jim Waddell came from working from the you know U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and I I think that speaks volumes that he came from that side over here and was like hey this isn't right so it's pretty obvious these dams shouldn't be in place and you know obviously the reason why it's important for you know people who maybe haven't listened to this podcast before is because the salmon travel straight through those rivers and they can't do that with the dams and there are you know fish gates and fish ladders and things like that and when i went and like looked at the fish ladders and the fish gates like it was clear that it was difficult for the salmon to do that and they'll like put them in trucks and move them down that way which like isn't helpful either so overall you know from all these different perspectives, like clearly, you know, we haven't even really gotten into the environmental impact portion of it, but like, it's not good socially, economically for these things to be here. And then on top of that, it is endangering the salmon that we have in the Pacific Northwest. And then, you know, by default, endangering our Southern resident orcas who eat them. And what we've seen like through Deborah Giles research and, you know, um, a couple of the other organizations up there is they are just they are going to eat salmon. That is all they're going to eat, and it's just the Chinook salmon. It's not any salmon, you know. Um, so they need this food. It's super important. Um, what else do you think it's important for people to know about the dams? Well, first of all, if you're living in the Washington area, there's a good chance that you're not getting the power. You know, it's mm-hmm. all all the power that's being made, but little is being made. It's all basically going to the Los Angeles area and it doesn't even make up 1% of there's a person who, um, who Howard Garrett connected me, uh, to who's fantastic, who's fantastic, who, uh, helped me a little bit. I got to talk. I want to talk with him again, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's all, it's all going to California. It's not, it's barely serving the North. It isn't basically serving the Northwest and it doesn't make up 1% of the, um, it's not. It's not even making up one percent of the electricity that they're that it's down there, and and something. One thing I noticed is because before before I did the research before I did this research, I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find something that that proves that every single, you know, all the dams, not just Snake, but all the Columbia River dams have to be ripped up mm-hmm. right, you know, right away. Which well, we should aim for that 
I, I found out pretty quickly that it's not that simple. And in fact, the balance of electricity is a life and death, literally a life and death balance. Mm -hmm. And there, and just to give you an example, the people in Los Angeles who not just in Los Angeles, but just in California in general, who are, 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 par are partly reliant on, on some of these dams for that tiny little bit of electricity that they bring are still dying from brownouts, literally dying. There are people in hospitals who, who are dying from overheating because the electricity that Los Angeles will literally have brownouts where the electricity just doesn't get there because there isn't enough. And so the balance of electricity is literally a life and death balance and the dams preventing you know, the of the, you know, wind turbines from actually generating the electricity that's needed to power it is killing people. Mm -hmm. These dams are killing salmon, they're killing orca, they're killing people too. Jesus. I didn't know that part. I, like, I knew that the energy came down to California and I didn't do the research as, like, far as that goes. Holy cow. So, if... If they were to get the energy from somewhere else, say from another, you know, sustainable source in California, because California's got a lot of wind turbines and like, you know, there are dams here too, which they're starting to remove. I know they're removing the Klamath dams, which is amazing. Um, but if we were to, to replace that power, would those brownouts still occur? If the power that, if it, if we brought the power, if we made something that would, you know, bring that power back, then yeah, there would be no brownouts. Because the, the only reason why it's happening is because the grid, the electricity is constantly having to be shuffled because there isn't enough. So yeah, if if you brought if you put in a power source that could, you know, that could bring that could fill in that lost electricity, you know, you will you would literally be saving lives. That's insane. I don't understand how they can get away with that and like. Obviously, this looks bad to all these other people. And, like, the question that I was thinking of as you were talking and, uh, like, you were saying that it only serves, like, 1% of the population in L.A., which obviously it's not serving them well. It's 1% you know, of the population of California. Oh, yeah. California. Okay, that does yeah. make a difference. Okay, so not that many people. And, like, I think 1% we could find a way to replace it. Um that's absolutely ridiculous. So then, you know, my question then, who who are the dams serving? Because they're not serving the people of Washington. They're clearly not serving the people of California. Um, they're not serving, you know, the people that are navigating. I mean, I think the people down at the dams who rely on the jobs there, like that is a genuine thing for them. And I think that is who is served here. But is that enough to outweigh all of the negativity? Well, first of all, the people working at those dams are are our government workers who are valued mm -hmm. so if the dams go it's not possible for them to lose their jobs they would just move on to a different project in that area mm -hmm. and you know they still get paid so they can't be fired so basically in answer to your question of who it's serving it's basically nobody nobody so it has it's not to be serving it's not even serving the farmers it's mm -hmm. not because i've heard that a few farmers are 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 talking about oh you know we need we need the reservoirs in you know to feed our crap to feed the crops the pumping the pumping gear that they have doesn't require a reservoir they can just feed from a free-flowing river and they'll be fine interesting so i mean obviously there's there's little kinks and things that we need to work out like you know because i'm sure that even if those people if they can 
get new jobs somewhere else. And even if they don't get fired, you know, people don't want to uproot their lives. But when we look at the cost benefit analysis of it, uh, we see that economically there is to make it worth it to take the dams down. We needed about like approximately $2 billion worth of net revenue. It is projected that there's about approximately $8 billion of net revenue that would come if we remove those dams. So it's almost four times as much. And those are like rough estimates. I can go back and look up the exact numbers later. Um, but we could very easily reallocate those funds to the people who need it and maybe reallocate those funds into getting um, you know, the 1% of people in California to have a sustainable like source of power and I don't just mean sustainable in the sense of conservation but sustainable in the sense of they don't have brownouts because that's a huge problem and I was not even aware of that like that's absolutely ridiculous and completely unacceptable and unfortunately you know I feel that I mean I don't feel it's just a fact that a lot of you know minorities especially you know poorer groups are are neglected and so these people probably are no one's paying attention to them like I didn't even know so it sounds like the only people that this is serving is whoever is at Bonneville that doesn't want to take it down. Yeah. And that's, I don't think, enough. And, you know, I think so many people, like, you know, when we talked with Jim Waddell, he basically was like, we've been fighting this fight for 20 years. Like, people say it's going to take a long time. He's like, when does the clock start? And I feel that the clock started when when they started that initial research for 20 years. There's people that have been on this planet longer than you and I have doing research for longer than you and I have even been alive who've put the work in and we just need to like continue those projects to get them down. Like it's really not okay that they're up and I definitely always try to have like a middle ground perspective of, you know, truly weighing things unbiasedly, but like it's really hard to see and especially now knowing that like, 1% of the population in California is impacted by this and it's actually a life or death issue. That's a huge problem. Um, And I understand that not everybody's going to care about whales and not everybody's going to care about salmon, but as a human, you should care about other humans. So that's very disappointing to hear. Um, What do you like? I mean, you're a young person with different perspectives than I have, you know, what do you think it's going to take for us to get them down? Obviously, political pressure but I feel like that's not working like do you have ideas for like what we could do that's new you know or like what's it going to take at this point well uh first you know first of all show bring the evidence forward first uh, yeah first bring the evidence forward that that they that BPA and the B basically the core was lied to. The core was tricked. First, first of all, bring the evidence forward that the core was literally tricked. Congress was tricked into allowing the construction of these dams. First, so first, bring up that bring up that history of that people were the government was manipulated, mm-hmm. and you know, and and you can, and but also you know, and here's the thing: the government, the government really did actually fight in a way to not have these dams built, like. Um, Lyndon Johnson, who didn't want these dams to be built, he took all the funding. The reason, a lot of the reason why that, the reason why that a lot of these dams took so long to build, on top of the fact that there was actually public resistance at that time. In fact, there was so much resistance that a plan to install a fifth dam was canceled. But 
you know, Lyndon Johnson at the time, he took all the money kept being taken away from these dams because Congress didn't want to fund it. They Mm -hmm. wanted to put it in. They wanted to put it to funding things like NASA, the construction of rockets, the construction. Understandable. Yeah. Yeah. All that nuclear missiles, weapons, all that sort of technology. That's why the Congress took that money away from them. So first bring up that his bring up that history to people that 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 they relied they were manipulated there or the people that came before them at least relied to and there were people that came before before whom that you know tried to stop it because again you know even jim waddell was probably part of just a few engineers who were just thinking oh god what the hell are we doing while everyone else on top was just making the decisions right and so yeah so bring up that next bring up the fact that people's money is literally being flushed down the toilet Mm -hmm. bring that fact bring up that fact up because you know yeah bring that up bring the fact that there people are literally losing money bring up the fact that people are dying Mm -hmm. and that it's not even serving the the northwest region Mm -hmm. at all in fact it's it's serving it so little it might not as well even be serving it at all Mm -hmm. so bring that up and and yeah, you know, bring and expose more of what's going on because the the largest minority that has been hit by the construction of the dam of the dams, you know, are all the tribes you know that were living on the on the you know on living along the gorge. And I mean, mm-hmm. and I say living very loosely since a lot mm-hmm. of them are having are forced to live in like trailers and just awkwardly moving you know move around. I mean, they've had. They've had fish. They've had is sent what may might as well be military military grave sites destroyed, as well as just you know family cemeterial sites destroyed. They've you know they the constitution was broken again to get that land from them, and you know and they're they're like ninety percent of the ninety nine percent of their fish is just gone, you know and. And just also, and that just, that hurt, that hurts them so much. It's so, because imagine, imagine for millennia, for like 10, 10, tens of thousands of years, you, you built up your whole culture around this, this, uh, around the Northwest and how amazing it is and how amazing it has been, mm-hmm. you know, they've been able to live off that and just, just expose how much has basically just been destroyed. Just bring, just again, so bring up. Bring up all of that. Mm-hmm. Bring up the also bring up the fact that a lot of these people don't know what they're talking about because 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 farmers either farmers are being willf, willfully ignorant or they just don't realize they don't realize that they can just that their equipment can just feed from a free flowing river just just fine and and just and just you know bring up and bring up the fact that you know hey also as a cherry on top that listen trains are better you know trains yeah. are you know certain better and i know that a lot of people like i know um i heard that that some people were resist were resistant some resistant to the idea of of trains since you know they were bringing coal and that was point and that was you know poisoning the uh, you know the surrounding environment but guess what that got outlawed that basically got outlawed so trains are still able to come through so yeah show that trains are better mm-hmm. and that if they, even if they do charge a tiny tiny bit more for the goods it's not enough to push anyone over the edge 
it's not enough to completely ruin farmers. It's not enough to ruin um, the communities. Yeah. So yeah, definitely show that yeah. change better and show and show that this is basically a domino effect mm-hmm. of what's going on because the salmon are just the salmon are dying. Orcas are dying. So what's imagine what what's that what that's going to do to the whole ecosystem and eventually us. Right. And of course, and you know, all those minority groups mm-hmm. who have been suffering for years for actually in the case of, of the uh, tribes on the Northwest centuries now, mm-hmm. they're going to get hit the hardest. They're going to feel the, full, they're feeling the full force of what's going on right now. Absolutely. All over the Northwest, not just along the Snake River dams, not just along the Columbia River dams. Yeah, so, Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's you're there's a lot of things that we need to consider and I definitely you know, I'm not like avoiding having the conversation about you know, the indigenous portion of it. I just I don't want to speak to something that's not a personal experience for me like on that behalf and I want to talk to more people and it's so hard to um I mean, how do you start a conversation with someone about hey, like Let's talk about your generational trauma and, like, the fact that, you know, your land was taken from you and all these things were taken from you. Like, that has to be heart-wrenching. Like, you brought that up that for millennia these people have had, you know, they've been living a certain way. And I think that as Americans... Forced to. Forced to live... Well, I mean, yeah, living a certain way. But after the dams were built, forced to live a certain way. Yeah. And it's not okay, you know. Um, And I think that that's, that's something that anybody who is, like born in the United States and is a quote unquote, you know, true, like United States citizen or whatever that they will never understand because we've never had, we're not like America's 200 years old in the sense that it is now not saying that America is, you know, what it is like the United States, the country, yeah, the country country that it is today is like, we don't, we don't have those same roots and those same ties. And like, you know, that is, it's so awful that that happened and that is unfortunately, you know, a story that we see all across the globe with, you know, colonization, but you know, we owe it to these people and like we messed up and like, even if we, like you and I did not personally mess up, our ancestors did. And like, we have just as much power to make it right as they had the power to take it away. And like, yeah, there's so many reasons why these dams need to not be here. And like, you know, the indigenous people, I think, like, you know, honestly, I don't want to, like, rank importance, but I would say that that is top priority right there. Like, obviously, I'm vested in the orcas and the salmon and things like that, but, like, from one, you know, human to another, that's not okay to to take that. And, that, like, we have to do something, and those people deserve better, and they deserve to have their salmon back. And, like, you know, um, there were tons of, there are tons of people that fight for that. And I know, like, I think of Jesse Nightwalker and, like, you know, he's one of my motivations to keep going because, I mean, I never got the chance to meet him. I was actually, you know, reaching out to meet him um, when I found out that he had passed. But, like, him and his family are still so motivated to restore the salmon. And I talked to George Kwok's sister, and he's so motivated to restore the salmon. And, like, you know, we owe it to these people. I think, yeah, we need to, like, continue to have these uncomfortable conversations and continue to write those letters and make those phone calls because, like, that's just... That's what we have right now. And if anybody has new ideas for different ways to raise awareness, like we're always open to it. But 
you know, I'm really glad that you shared what you shared and that you've put the research into it and that you've put the time into it. Cause it's like obvious that you really care about this. And, um, you know, I feel like very lucky to have you as like part of this, you know, Orca family that like, you know, snow and sign, everybody Gloria talks about of like yeah. just people that are here for the whales because like, you know, the dams are kind of seen as something that's a little bit more boring and less interesting, but it's so important that we know this and that there are people out you like you out there that are like fighting and have all these facts and are like, this is not right. Cause it isn't right. And like, you know, we owe it to the whales and the salmon and the people who this land belongs to in the first place. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is for, this is, this is their land by, you know, ancestry and even constitutionally, this is their land. Who do we sue? That's my question. <laughs> like, who do we sue? Because I was, like, thinking about it. Because, like, there was... I can't remember the name of the dam off the top of my head. But there was a dam that got removed because it was, like, privately bought. And then somebody funded it. And I was like, maybe that's the route that we take. We try to buy the dams ourselves, raise money or something like that. And then take them down. But I don't know how realistic that is. But also, you might as well just try. You never know what could happen. But I'm like, if, if constitutionally it's wrong, and if the people of Washington are being lied to, and the people of California and everyone, then legally this shouldn't be happening. So it's like, who do we, like, I think we need to talk to, like, you know, people who worked on, like, the Dakota pipelines because they were successful. And I'm like, who do who do we sue? How do we do what you did but over here, you know? Um... I mean, I mean, unless buy you know, in terms of buying the dams, I mean, unless unless you have a spare bill, uh, ten billion dollars or more than ten billion dollars to just throw away, it's going to be kind of difficult, right? And most of us have that sitting around, anyways. Um, no, definitely no. I understand. Yeah, obviously, it's not feasible, but like. I mean, you never know, like you, like there are people who are very wealthy, who do have an interest in making the world a better place and you never know what could happen. Um, I don't know. Yeah. We just need to, we need to get them down and we need to get them down as soon as possible, especially now that we have two new babies, another baby on the way, and then rumors of more, more babies. Um, so... We have to keep fighting because, you know, these whales and these people are worth it. Like, it's very important. Um, so, you know, kind of coming back to the Southern Residents and tying it back to that. Um, you know, I'd ask you if you've seen Southern Residents and you said that you hadn't. But what kind of sparked your interest in these animals? Like, what made you motivated to, like, you know, be an activist for them? Well, um could get hard without uh, tearing up i guess um i guess i think it was hearing about uh you know at first at first i didn't i didn't know it what was i mean i've i've always had a sort of minor interest or i really appreciated you know dolphins you know i always appreciate you know i always really liked animals that had you know very large intelligence and you know social and mm -hmm. you know just incredible you know just uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Emo emotionally, emotionally complex, especially mm -hmm. the orca, who, well, I think probably sur clearly surpass us. Um, but I guess it's the southern. I guess now with recently, I found I found out. I think it was it was the story with Luna, the orca. Oh my that god, was that's my favorite whale. Nuka Sound that was in Nuka Sound mm -hmm. that was unfortunately killed by a tugboat. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I literally found out. I found out from uh, from uh, Sherilyn Roseanne that that he was that he was a um, a uh, a Southern resident from I think Elpod, and I just kind of I, 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 I cried for like an hour because that was because I because at first I thought oh I first I thought that you know he was just nor, a northern resident or maybe a transient that got separated but it's it really hit me hard when I found out that he was that he was a southern resident and so it's like oh you know I didn't just found out about some other whale that belonged to a different that mm-hmm. belonged to a different pond I just happened to look on you know find out about the southern resident situation it's like no it was a southern resident that sparked that that passion yeah absolutely um and yeah and something that 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 got me about luna when she was well not she he when mm-hmm. he was alive is that uh he he would always interact with people mm-hmm. he would interact with people all the time he was curious about them he was curious about about the machines that that people would use just daily life that he was just that that just fascinated him so much in exactly the same human way that that you know it does that it does for us Mm -hmm. and he was he was kind you know he was kind he was good natured he would love he would love to just see these people he loved to be around all these people and yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, so Luna just him. It just that, that's what sparked that that uh, that 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 imagination. Well, <laughs> imagination that 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 drive. Absolutely. I yeah, I can see that for sure. There's so many. Like, I mean, if you aren't drawn to the Southern residents just as a group, like an, the episode that came out before yours, or that will come out because obviously this isn't happening until next month, but. Um, like we talked about Luna very briefly and like, uh, you know, I've always said that that's like the one whale that I really resonated with. Um, and everybody has a whale because there's so many personalities within, you know, the Southern residents and like Luna is a very special whale. And, you know, I, I love the part where he just was so like resilient. And even though he, you know, had all the odds against him, he was still like determined to connect to others. And like, even though he had potentially, you know, felt hurt from his family from not, you know, being around them. I'm sure that like that had to hurt for any, like any animal that we see that, you know, works in a social group when they're separated from their family, that's always hard. And for humans, that's really hard. And like, I really resonated with him because I'm adopted and like, I have a complicated family situation. And I was like, that whale just wants to love, like, despite the fact, like, despite its circumstances, despite all of its struggles. And it was, you know, I watched that documentary on it. I think it's called The Whale, maybe. It's on Netflix. Or no, it's on Amazon, I think. I'll look it up and put it in the comments of this, um, like, bookmark yeah, of this. Yeah, The Whale. I saw, I saw bits and pieces of it. But yeah. it was sad to see kind of at the end that all of these, you know, different groups got involved and the scientists were like, hey, no, don't interact with the whale. And then the native people were like, this is our whale. And, like, you know... That's and yeah. yeah, that's and also that's that's also where which you know I don't want to go you know too off topic, but I just I, I remember listening to that episode um 
Were you talk, were, who, who were you talking to where you guys were talking about ego, especially ego within the scientific community? I've had that conversation with so many people. I would guess probably yeah. Gloria or Ellie. <clears throat> yeah, that was the thing. That that That's where that sort of ego, that's, that's where it sort of came into place. Because uh, I remember, I think actually it was one of the guests that you had that you had on where um, I think... I think she. I think she was a. a she, she was a neurologist. I think for Lori uh, Marino. Yes, and she was, and you know, she was saying that you know, the one of the best solutions that we could do is basically to just kick everyone out of the water, kick everyone out of the water, and just allow you know for scientists, you know, to be on the water studying these whales. And I was listening to that, and oh, no, no offense to mm-hmm. you know, no offense to her, but I was, I was like, wait a minute, but that's that's where that. Imagine, because imagine, imagine that that's how that ego spawns, where you have so many scientists working on the same thing and trying to be the ones that find these certain things. Because imagine, imagine all of that ego, that scientific ego, Mm -hmm. but Orca literally being caught in the crossfire, like physically being caught in the crossfire. 100%. And, And of course, when I say that, I don't mean, oh, let's not, you know, let's not quiet everyone down or let's not, you know, hold let's not hold, you know, people who are clearly disturbing them accountable. Like I do absolutely think there needs to be accountability. I do agree with her that there needs to be much, much better policing of the waters, Mm -hmm. but you know, yeah. But yeah, that problem is that if you leave, if that side, if that, if you just leave that, you know, the scientific element there, then that ego can appear again. Yeah. And which I'd art, which, I'd argue that with scientists may end up being just as dangerous. I would agree with you on that. And I think that, you know, that's really important that you say that because I think a lot of times people in a position of power, they don't want to be checked. And that's the problem that we see with, you know, Bonneville Power Association. They're in power. They don't want to be checked. And like, you know, I come from a scientific background. I intend like, you know, fully plan to become a scientist one day and like, you know, my background is dolphin research and I always am like thinking critically. And I think there's a lot of assumptions that scientists make. And I'm not like saying that this is all scientists or all things, but like as scientific people, we need to check ourselves. And I think that is one of been always one of the things that I have um, felt conflicted about because there are certain animals that are not interested in humans, whether it be as a species or as that specific individual animal, they don't care about you. They just want to do their thing and we should let them and that's fine. However, there are animals who do want to interact and Luna is an absolute case for that. And I think that, you know, you know, what we see with humans oftentimes too, like we, I I think the mental health movement has kind of like taught us some things because like, I remember hearing my aunts and uncles talk about how no one ever talked about mental health when they were kids and things like that. People just talk about like physical health and like, we need to consider the mental health of that whale. Like that's important. It's important for people And I think that the ego plays in of being like, oh, like, you know, their emotional health isn't important because they're animals. Well, obviously, will we ever understand their emotional intelligence or what their experience is like? I don't think so. Or maybe we will when the technology is there, but not anytime soon. But, you know, that whale was desperately wanting to connect and knowing what we know about orcas, you know, I think that they should have, I think the situation with Luna should have been handled better but also, you know, given that situation, that's probably the first time anyone's ever had to deal with that. And so people are going to make mistakes the first time too. So we have to be patient there. But, 
you know, one of the things that I've really learned in Monterey, because I've always been one of those people, like, you know, stay away from the dolphins. Like, the bottomless dolphins in Florida, people need to stay away from those. And I have that perspective because I studied them and I just saw a lot of ridiculous things that I didn't need to see. But what I've learned here in Monterey is that there are whales that are curious. And it's specific whales. We get mugged by humpback whales all the time. I, like... I've, I've been told it's a record season. It's my first year here, but the amount of humpback whale muggings that I have had, the amount of times that a humpback whale has come up and just blown onto my face. Oh. I can say that I've played hide and seek with multiple humpback whales where they hide under our boat and they come up on one side or the other and we're doing nothing. The engines are off. Like, cause what we'll do is once we approach the animal, obviously we slow down because that's important. You know, we don't want to hit the animal. We want to maintain like a certain level of knots so that we're not, you know, acoustically, um, getting in the way of whatever that animal's doing, especially if they're feeding. And so um, we'll just come up on the whale, give them the appropriate distance, and then sit there. And the amount of times that humpback whales have just come up to us, it doesn't happen all the time. I mean, this it has been a record year, so I've heard. And I have been mugged by a humpback so many times. It's honestly, like, it's amazing. But it's like, who are we to block that connection between humans and animals? Because we have that natural inclination to want to connect to animals. And I think it's it's not necessarily all humans. And we notice that there are specific whales. Like there's one called Muggsy and there's one, there's a couple called Halo and Angel. And those are like two of our favorites. And, you know, so there are specific whales that have specific behaviors and there are specific humans who are really interested in whales. And I just don't think that we can make that judgment call. And, you know, if people are, you know, behaving in a safe way and like not touching or harassing the animal, like, I think we really do need to critically think about, you know, those connections because it's connections like that with Luna or like even just seeing that or hearing that that sparks people to be like, oh, my God, like I love this whale and I need to do something to make the planet a better place. Yeah. And yeah, it's I do actually believe that the barrier that that emotional barrier that exists that well, that that I guess barrier that exists between between human and especially orca that actually does like in the in the film in uh, the whale they were saying the narrator was was saying that Luna was breaking down that barrier and yeah I actually do believe that that is a barrier that has to be torn down and there needs to start being some some amount of emotional connection that is built between people and Orca and, and you know you know and it's if it is it's possible to do as long as just people are responsible that's the thing if if just people are responsible and it's possible and it's not it's not really a goal one of the things that i think is slowing us down is that we don't have i mean and when i mean we i mean usually you know people in the united states you know they don't have that sort of emotional connection and that's something that that interspecies connection that's something that should be built and should not be shunned and if anything it should be glorified i mean not glorified enough so that people are like doing what they did in the 90s and driving on top of them right but enough so that you know if an orc you know if an orca comes up to a person they can uh, you know they shouldn't be you know no one should be coming up to them and and saying you know oh you know stay you know stay away what are you doing what's wrong with you why are you why are you doing that so yeah i think you definitely we definitely need to actually start allowing for more emotional people to give people the opportunity so long as they're responsible to build that emotional and 
spiritual connection. Yeah. I, I guarantee the more that if people do that, if more of that, of more of a connection is built, which that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying mm-hmm. to make some kind of a spiritual connection despite being about 200 miles away from from Puget Sound, I want to have that because I guarantee. Because I guarantee, if that if people have more of that spiritual connection with these animals, mm-hmm. then then there'll be so much there'll be so much more empathy that exist that exists in this country. Because what needs to happen is that empathy and ethics, especially toward the treatment of 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 you know the southern residents, and especially toward each other. That needs to be normalized. 100%. And the idea of, yeah, that has to be normalized. And the idea of, of building a connection with animals has to be normalized and not be treated as, you know, like, you know, like they're crazy, like, you know, people are just crazy or they're just, it's a waste of time. It's, you know, it's not going to do anything because it it's not a waste of time and it does do a hell of a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would... I would argue that you do have a spiritual connection with the whales because like you said, you know, you live in Portland and you haven't seen these whales ever, but you just felt drawn to them. And I think that's how orca people are. It's just as in you. And as crazy as that sounds, every orca person will say that. And like, I ended up working in the San Juans because I wanted to see an orca and then I did. And then I was like, I have to go be with the orcas. And like, I think you're a hundred percent right on that. Like you hit the nail on the head of like, we need to responsibly view we should allow it to be the animal's choice if they want to interact. Obviously, like, don't go, like, touching the animal. But, like, animals do want to connect with us, and we want to connect with them. And I think it's such a shame that we live on this amazing, beautiful planet and that we treat it the way that we do. But there are so many amazing creatures out there that are curious about us, and we're curious about them. And I think, again, that ego comes in of where we're othering. We're like, oh, these animals are different, and it's bad that we interact with them and like this and that. And I don't think so. I think you're totally right. Like we should celebrate those connections that we have to the land because, you know, we are animals too at the end of the day. And we like to put ourselves in a different box. And like, if anything, I think we're less evolved because we've gotten to a point where we're destroying ourselves and these animals don't, you know, they've learned to exist in their environment. And I think they've learned to accept I think, well, I don't even know if they're this, you know, cognitively advanced. I have no idea what goes on in their brain. And that's, I think, you know, where some scientists are limited because we're like, oh, we'll just assume it's nothing. How, you know, we, we could just as easily assume that they know everything, I guess. But, you know, they've learned, it seems as though, like, they've kind of accepted hardship or they've learned to move through it as opposed to humans who have evolved to get to a place of building capitalistic societies, building up huge cities and things like that as a way to get out of survival. And we've just created different problems um, as opposed to just handling the problems that we did before, if that makes sense. But I think you're right. We need to connect more to animals. That's very important. Like the relationships that we have with animals and with our planet are, are very important. And like we, you know, we have one planet that we share and we are so lucky to live here where it's so abundant with life and we need to cherish those connections and take advantage of it like that's why our planet's here and the only reason that we you know i think that there's that barrier now is because over the course of like you know colonialism people put those barriers there because they needed to feel better and maybe it was out of fear but it's been taken out of context and we need to reconnect back because there are so many other cultures found throughout the world and there's so many indigenous groups like the 
obviously all these indigenous groups are not only fighting for their land, but they're fighting for their salmon and their whales because they love their salmon and their whales. Like it's a part of them. And that should be true for all of us. And it's so sad that people deny that within them because they feel they can't because it's weird. It, I feel it's more natural, honestly. Sorry, that was a huge, like, no, rambling no, 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 no. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. And now, look, I'm, I'm one of those people who think that, you know, I'm fine with advanced. In fact, actually, I, I would argue that the more advanced technology becomes, the more it will be able to coexist with the environment without destroying it. Because mm-hmm. the problem is that we've been stuck. Technology has not been advancing fast enough. I mean, we chose, we chose to to invest in all these things, but we haven't been doing it. We haven't been doing it to the right technology and for the, and for the speed at which it needs to happen. Right. Because, you know, I mean, just, you know, and yeah, and the the dams are kind of even an example of that. I mean, technically the dams, the idea of just using a river to power anything or drive something, whereas, you know, as it was, you know, you know, whether it be pumping gear or whether it be electricity eventually, that was technically outdated before the United States even existed. Right. And, you know, granted the technology that followed it had a, had a serious problem, mm-hmm. but again, and, but, you know, again, people, people, you know, actually chose to, you know, sort of improve on it. It's just, there's some, there's, the, there's a problem with, there's pro- there's some problems where, where people have that people, ha- that some people have where, well, I mean, while I'm all, I mean, I'm an old, I'm a, I'll admit, I'm a person who loves, you know, old technology. I love steam trains. I've, I've loved steam trains since I was a little kid. But I'm not gonna, but I'm not gonna stand by and say, listen, I think we everything should be powered by steam. I think we should invest in coal again because it's, it's you right, know, it's destroying the planet for sure. <laughs> you know, all the stuff that's being invested. So, I mean. I get, I get the idea of some people saying, well, look, we don't, we don't want to move on. We don't want to move on from this sort of technology. And while I understand that, and while I think it's, you, you know, there can be a limit, like there's some, there's a limit that's some old technology can continue to, to exist. Some, some that's Mm -hmm. manageable. And that's like, you, you know, managed with competence and, you know, kept from, from destroying everything, but you know, not, not, not everywhere. Cause yeah. I think, you know what I think might've happened? My theory is so I think that, you know, sort of, I know everyone, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, they're against they're especially against nuclear technology and all the, you know, the problems that it generated, especially with Hanford and the nightmare that it is with all this horrible waste, just, mm-hmm. just absolutely everywhere. I think we would not have had that problem had we, sat down and really think about how we were going to do this. Right. Because how we were going to do to do this. Because I mean, you know, but you know, there are some people who are advocating. I mean, right now, um, I don't know if you heard, but um China sort of successfully tested a, a uh, tested a nuclear fusion reactor. Mm-hmm. And just to give an idea on how big of a deal that that is, if if someone figures out a way to to make it hold a charge mm-hmm. enough so that you, you know just just to hold a charge, if, if someone figures it out and makes it a, it makes it you know a reasonable price, every single coal, gas, natural gas turbine thing, all of it, all the dams would be eradicated immediately. I mean, it would be 
if someone figures it out, it would be the death, the complete annihilation of the coal industry, the almost complete annihilation of the oil industry. And yeah, so I think, I think technology can exist as it can coexist with, with, you know, with, with nature, with, you know, with, with our worlds enough so that it doesn't hurt nature so long as we're responsible for it. We don't let it get in the way of what's in, of what's truly important. Absolutely. And if it's advanced enough so that it doesn't, you know, it can, it can work together. Like one of the things I hope will happen in the future, like my city, like my city of Portland, I really hope we, we like have by like bio cities, just imagine, just imagine these cities that are just that are filled with with like just this amazing amount of native plant life that just mm-hmm. it just flourishes everywhere and it just could even build a technically build an ecosystem on top of that absolutely so yeah yeah but yeah i yeah i definitely understand the whole thing of of you know colonialism we put up this barrier to shove our you know out of fear or out of thinking that we're better you know just to yeah just just to put it there that's that sort of yeah. It's that ideology that we just, we have to not normalize and we have to think is right. just kind of ridiculous because it still exists. I mean, you see what's going on with the Trans Mountain Pipeline right now with this company that's that's wanting to invest in something that's probably going to die in a few decades, maybe even less, you know, and it's just, yeah, we need to... As, as much as we need to advance technology, we need to sort of get back to who, who we are and that is, you know, we are spirit, you know, we are spiritual beings mm-hmm. from this planet. We absolutely have, we can absolutely develop a, a, a connection. There's a barrier that we set up between, between the orca and us that we need to break through enough so that, you know, we can interact with them and not destroy them by accident doing so. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think you're like, you do bring up a good point too of like, reintegrating into nature but using the technology that we have and kind of accepting our history and learning from it you know moving forward is kind of like what I hear coming from you but yeah no like we have to we owe it to the whales and like those are the steps that we have to take and we got to be okay with progress and you know not necessarily scared of it but like you know we're a part of this planet and I think sometimes people forget that we need the planet and the planet needs us and you're 100% right and like a lot of scientists you know a lot of people want to argue that like no spirituality is not important but like anywhere that you go in the world somebody's got a god you know whoever they decide that it, that is or whatever entity that they decide that it is and when I say a god I mean something that that's a sense of feeling connected to something bigger than themselves and like it's natural for humans to do that and it's a part of human nature, I believe. And we even see, you know, I reference Brene Brown a lot because I love reading her books and listening to, you know, all of her different work. But she talks about, like, you know, the core pillars of being like a wholehearted person and, like, what's going to make humans, you know, feel the best and be the healthiest, you know, emotionally. And spirituality is a huge part of that. She's like some sense of spirituality, whatever that is. And I think you're right. We can't continue to deny that or to say that that's not a valid, you know, reason for people to 
feel or do the things that they do. Obviously, like we don't need extremism in that, but you know, getting back in in touch with that. Um, We are, we definitely are over time, which is like fine. Um, But I will ask you the final question that I ask everyone, which is um, what can we learn from the whales? Yeah. So going back, going uh, back to Luna, that whole thing about, about, her interacting or him I keep saying her him mm-hmm. interacting with all these people and just just you know constantly wanting to build that connection that shows that shows that how much or how much southern residents are forgiving basically mm-hmm. how forgiving how forgiving they are because i remember you even said you know it's like it would if they were really afraid of us you know and you'd imagine you'd think with everything that's happened to them you know you think they just run away at the first sight of us but mm-hmm. it's what the what the orcas show people is who we need to aspire to be and who of you know of just forgiving and just normalizing empathy and love and just care and just not, not holding on to the, you know, I mean, (laughs) I know it's funny for me saying, you know, holding on to the past, but just not, not holding on to it enough so that it, it it just define, it just defines us, you know, taking Mm -hmm. the past as a learning standpoint, Mm -hmm. basically seeing it as a, as a learning standpoint. And it's just, what what they had, what Luna had with those people, it just it it shows it it shows how much if if we if we want if we really did show them if if we really did if we really did show them how much we are we you know we love them and how much we are we are willing to to protect them and how and just show them how much that we're not the people who we who we used to be. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, they would. If we did, if we sh- if we show that to them by bringing everything back, by bringing all their, by bringing their livelihood back, by essentially bringing their culture back, right? Will they'll they'll probably have as much love for us as we do for them, and they can, and you know, because I know I was always I was I always had a fear of you know I, I mean I don't think I'm quite at that part uh, that part yeah i mean i am i'm trying to you know sort of be in that sort of um, um spiritual way because i mean I, I haven't i haven't despite everything I've, i've haven't had a single dream about norfi yet or <laughs> dolphin it's not you know it's not exactly normal for me. but yeah it's just we we could learn we we could build that connection with we could build that connection with them because i think because i think there's a part of them that that wants that wants to that wants to love us that wants to actually do that you know yeah just a part of them that wants to love us as much as you know we as much as we love them yeah. and occasionally you know they will show that you know they'll be curious you know in us and who and who we are and there might and you know there have been people who've built incredibly strong connections with them i mean you know, despite, especially people, especially, you know, the native tribes in the Northwest, despite the fact that it was almost completely obliterated by, by, uh, by colonialism. Um, but yeah, it's there. I mean, I always had, I mean, I always had a fear that if I were to be, you know, be truly spiritual with them, that I would just, 
that there would just be resentment and you know just just resentment because of, of everything that's done but everything that's done to them but what from my heard but what from I've heard from some people is that they it, it doesn't sound it doesn't seem like they do you know they have they have learned to for, they have learned to uh, forgive so yeah the southern residents basically show what humanity should be and what we should strive what we should strive to become and and here's the thing there whether we you know yeah so they show what we what we uh, what we should aspire to be but here's the thing how they're doing right now shows how much how their current condition shows how much or what what is currently being valued by by also people in authority and even some people even some local people so they so what they go through will reflect on you know reflects on what we prioritize so if we so you know to so if we if we say whether they live or god forbid die is it will whatever happens it will show what we as a people prioritize and will basically basically it will show it will show what we what we prioritize Where as, a, as a nation as a society mm-hmm. i think that was very beautiful what you said and i think that that's you know very brave of you to you know talk about the spirituality aspect of these things because i think so many people repress that part of the conversation um, because, you know, we're told not to. And I like that you're, you know, brave enough to say that you, you have that and that you want to have that. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, potentially the whales having resentment and like, you know, the context of that, if anybody hasn't like listened to this or isn't familiar, you know, a lot of the whales were taken out of the Puget Sound for the aquarium trade, um, back in the 1900s. And, you know, we are talking about how there are some whales that are still alive who, you know, are either in the aquarium, like Tokite Town and at the Miami Sea Aquarium and things like that. But the whales, they don't fear us. And I think that's another thing you're right. It's like they've learned to, you know, forgive in a sense. Maybe it's not that deep. Maybe they just are like, they don't, I, I highly doubt that they don't remember just because of all the other ways. How traumatizing it was. Yeah, how much, you know, like we've seen their emotional like intelligence in other ways and how we see that elephants like will go back to the same burial sites that they, not burial sites per se, but sites where they left their dead. Um, and I think orcas are similar, but anyways. They, yeah, they do the same thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, they'll, so the residents, they'll, um, they'll go to the same, uh, same place that their family died. Well, that's, int- I didn't even know that. Like, there was um, a, there was a, um, yeah, some yeah. There's I learned that you know I I think especially if that calves who lost parents will go to the same site where they where their their you know, parents their were or fathers died. And yeah. that shows like those familial bonds. But you know, kind of going back to like what you were saying about the resentment is, I think you're right. It shows that like we need to have forgiveness, and that's I think one of the things that we've talked about too of like having forgiveness for those who've been in power who haven't made the right choices. Like if they decide to make the right choices now and treating them kind of maybe in the way that orcas treat us after all that we've put them through. And, you know, that makes me sad to hear that you think that the orcas would resent you based on, you know, past things, but people can change either on an individual level or a collective level. And I think it starts with us. It starts with individual actions and healing yourself because, you know, that this love that you're talking about that you want to share with the orcas, like, you know, we can't love our planet and we can't love 
and treat things the way that and others the way that we want to until we learn to love ourselves, you know? Um, and I think that's part of what it boils down to. And all of this is very interconnected. And I'm sure some people are listening to this and thinking, what are these people talking about? But I am like, you know, I appreciate that we're kind of on the same page and the same wavelength. And I think a lot of other people think and feel these things and don't necessarily express them because it like they fear being called weird and you know what people are going to criticize you no matter what you do so you just go and do what's best for your heart and for your life and it sounds like you know you're definitely one of those people that just has orca in their heart it just is what it is you know like you wouldn't be doing this from portland if you weren't like you've never seen a southern resident killer whale like you know so I think that that is a beautiful message that, you know, to learn to kind of be more accepting and like move forward and continue with resilience. I think these whales have a lot to learn or we have a lot to learn from these whales. And I think we have a lot to learn from you as well. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming on here. Um, and also like all the stories that you share because there's so many things that I didn't know. And it's like cool that you have it on your Instagram. And as much as I hate social media, you know, this is like one of the benefits is like I meet people like you and then I see the cool stuff that you're putting out there. And it's like, it's really refreshing because there's so much garbage on social media, so many things that are meaningless or even in, you know, the wildlife group. It's like, you know, there's a lot of photographers that are really good at pushing for the wildlife and there are others that are interested in it for the clout and that can be discouraging. So it's motivating to see you know, somebody who's young like you, who's out there, like, making a change and, and putting information out there that's important for people to know. So thank you for your work. And thank you for being on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, I am absolutely honored that, that, that you invited me, that I was invited on here. I love this podcast. I love listening to all the interesting conversations that you have with people. I love your work and I love what you're what you're trying to get people to become I just I I, have, I really do I really do appreciate it well thank and you if I yeah thanks so much for joining us guys be sure to tune back in next week for some more interesting conversations and as always be sure to interact with us on our social media platforms Twitter Instagram and Facebook also, be sure to check out our Patreon page if you want to support us in that way. Leave us a review, etc. Uh, but hope you guys have a great week. Bye-bye.